Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends of the pod, to Cult and Classic. Uh, I am your host, Nate Wyckoff, writer and comedian. And I am super excited today for our very special guest, Joshua Grenell, also known as Peaches Christ. How are you doing, Joshua? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here, especially during these COVID Miss Rona times. It's nice to <laughs> it's nice to connect however we can. Yeah, it's nice to have something to do. Right, for sure. So um, I know my wife and I are down here in Palm Springs, uh, mm -hmm. and we often go to to Moxie and every club down here and see the shows. Uh -huh. And we saw Morgan McMichael's last show before the bars officially closed. They were closing that uh -huh. night, and so they had to wrap it up quick. And it was a, even then, I mean, we didn't, none of us fully knew the extent of what was going to happen, but already everyone was in gloves, couldn't approach the Queens, they couldn't approach us. We had to put tips in a, in a bucket, um, that right. sort of thing. Um, now, up there in San Francisco, is it, is anything happening or is it really just? Well, you, you, we were like one of the, we were the first American city to basically shelter in place. Mm -hmm. So we were the first to shut down. Um, and I was doing a big show at the Castro Theater that weekend uh, with Jinx Monsoon and Bindula Krem. We were doing uh, my Death Becomes Her parody. Right. Drag's be uh, Drag Becomes Her, yeah. Drag Becomes Her. And, um, and it was so, it was such a bummer because one, they're like family to me. We work together all the time. And we had done the show last year in London for five weeks. And so we knew the show really well. So we were rehearsing was fun. But as we were going into the weekend and the news about COVID was getting more and more intense, I have to say, I was, I was feeling like, is it up to me to cancel this thing? Like, mm -hmm. I have to say, at the end of the day, even though it really sucks financially, it's really been a challenge. I'm gl glad that London Breed made that decision, knowing mm -hmm. everything we know now, you know, right. like, because if I had moved forward, we had two shows, the Castro Theater's 1,400 seats. We were yeah. sold out, you know, the eight o'clock show. The, the matinee was selling really well. Like, it just could have been a recipe for disaster. So, in hindsight, and yeah, you're right. Like, back then when we closed that first week, we thought we'd shelter in place for a couple weeks. Yeah. You know, I remember postponing things, and then and then they'd get postponed again. And now, yeah. now I'm kind of like, like with Drag Becomes Her, it's like, uh 2021 right you've got it like may 21st i think right is the rough right the yeah rough guess. that one i don't even know at this point because it's yeah. it's just anyone's guess yeah well and especially when you have a, a something that needs a stage and a crew you know it's not just you that's getting pushed back it's every single production every single rental everything they have right it just goes yep. way back um and i i'm noticing that uh, as a stand-up comic too i mean it's yeah, it's the same thing as, as drag queens, right? We're doing digital yeah. shows on occasion, but it really, especially for something like your show Midnight Mass and your other shows, like anything like that, I mean, it's really difficult via the online platform to get that it, yeah. kind of experience. It's not something we can recreate virtually. I am considering for the first time ever airing um, videos of our shows online. People mm -hmm. have asked for years and years, where can I see, you know, Drag Becomes right, Her, right. Legally Black, or, you know, Sheetle Juice, or whatever, and it's like, mm -hmm. oh, I guess I'll finally, and that's more about a financial necessity, I hate yeah. to say, like, it might just, you know, pay for our um, storage units, and, you know, kind of keep the company mm -hmm. up and running, 
But I will, you know, nothing could replace being at the show, seeing the show live. Yeah. So I've sort of accepted it after some, you know, depressing, uh, you know, uh, yeah. banging my head against the wall. And so now I'm, I'm working with um, my production company, Into the Dark, where we already do immersive theater and haunted attractions. And I'm kind of setting my sights on reopening that show first because we can put mm -hmm. small groups through at a time. Yeah. We can mask the audience as part of the narrative. Uh, we can mask a lot of the actors, you know. Um, and so we're looking at maybe that for like March, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but traditional theater, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't think it's coming back anytime soon. However, the other thing I'm doing um, is is looking into with with another company um, creating an outdoor venue. So I saw know, I saw some 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 little little bits of that sneaking out in some of yeah. your your stuff lately. Yeah. So so hopefully that comes through because I think you know I, I'm trying to convince some some folks like yes this investment will be worth it. Mm -hmm. Sadly, I think we're going to be in this for a while. Yeah. It's um, I mean, and I obviously podcasts we're we're remote generally anyway but right. it's really it's hard to stay positive uh when you you can't even someone like me who pretty much is happy my wife says i'm happy shut in a room with my stacks of movies and comics and art supplies right. and whatever and laptop and just go and i can do that for months and i'm like okay well i've about found my limit uh, four months is pretty much right. that it you know yeah um so I was looking through your, you really have a huge catalog of um, sort of material. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, yeah. It's, it's sort of unique uh, for a lot of, of drag performers to have that, you know? Um, it's a very ephemeral art, right? You do it every night and you're in right. a club and yes, photographs, yes, uh, you know, you, you drop a, a, a song, uh, maybe it gets in the clubs, things like that, but really, it's the performance. And you've actually, because of your background in film, you went to Penn State, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Because of your background in film, you've got short films, mockumentaries, documentaries. Uh, and because you've been so successful in the San Francisco area, you know, I think you have a, you had a truly California short segment, I think done about you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and which is kind of cool. I, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't know we had, it reminded me of the uh, the heritage moment, the Canadian thing that they do. And I didn't oh, even right. realize that we had that uh, kind of thing. So that was neat. But it's, yeah. there's actually a lot of material out there. What is that sort of, is that intentional? No. So I, <laughs> I, um, I'm in this weird position now where I'm, I'm asked to teach. I've actually gotten to teach at the San Francisco Art Institute, or I'm asked to, you know, talk to young people and give advice. And, you know, it's this thing where it's like, you know, honestly, I just followed what interested me. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was a kid who, you know, grew up obviously loving horror movies, loving spooky stuff, macabre stuff, discovered John Waters at a young age. I grew, grew up in Maryland. I was obsessed with Rocky Horror. I wanted to make movies. I made haunted attractions. I did theater. So everything that, like my friends who knew me as a kid, like think I'm hilarious at 46 because they're like you are the same like everything I do and all the stuff that I'm into drag and horror mm -hmm. and all this stuff um it, you know it's it's stuff I've loved since I was a kid and so I really didn't set out to have a career in drag that was an accident you know performing when I started was a hobby and something fun to do. And, you know, I spent more money doing it than I made. I actually thought I would make money maybe working on movies or making movies. Mm -hmm. And I moved to San Francisco because, you know, I had met John Waters and, you know, he was my idol and we hadn't become friends yet. But mm -hmm. at, at this sort of like meeting, um, when I was very, very young, he told me about the Coquettes and he told me about the Kuchar brothers and mm -hmm. Canyon Cinema and sort of the underground world of San Francisco. And it sounded mm -hmm. so fascinating. Uh, so I came here uh, after just, you know, graduating from film school and, you know, just put one foot in front of the other. And, and doing Peaches Christ was very much like um, an angry response to a, a, a Catholic kid who was now a queer activist and, and wanting to be punk rock and in your face. The numbers were all very gory and mm -hmm. sacrilegious and kind of maybe 
like heady and serious and obnoxious in a way, you know, you have, you know, <laughs> right. chainsaw. You're still growing and, into that, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think about it now, it's like, oh, some of that I took maybe more seriously than I ever should have. Um, you know, I still always had a sense of humor about it all, but like, it, it was something that accidentally turned into um, a, a show called Midnight Mass, where I got to screen cult movies mm -hmm. at a movie theater and have a midnight series. And that was really so selfish. Like it was so me wanting to do that. Like me being in a projection booth and building up prints, going home, putting on drag, coming back, mm -hmm. doing a show, screening a cult movie, you know, yeah. I was you're talking to a podcaster. We we get we get self indulgent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was and so the the fact that it turned into a business was almost incidental. And like, mm -hmm. you know, I always say like, like my friend Hecklina, um, she's always put business first, and and it shows. She really built this sort of empire. She was able to open a nightclub. I've always, and I think you can be successful either way. I've always put my passion first mm -hmm. and sort of my whatever interests me first. Now, as a business person, that's not always the smartest thing to do. You know, I haven't always made the smartest decisions. But I think because I was always doing stuff I loved, you know, people find you and they love it too. And, you know, that, so, so anyway, it was all an accident. And I look at it the same, like whether I'm making a movie or putting on a stage show or um, putting it on an immersive theater production, a haunted house or whatever. It's all coming from the same place for me, which is mm -hmm. this sort of spirit of showmanship that I just love and storytelling. And so, you know, people go, oh, how do you jump from making a movie to doing this? To do? And I'm like, ah, it's, for me, it's basically all the, kind of the same. It feels like the same, you know, outlet, the same. It does. You know, yeah. And really, I mean, it sort of sounds like it solidified you into this brand. Right. I mean, whether you want to call it that or not, it's yeah. like it's hard not to see something that has Peach's face on it and not just get the whole impact. You know, I, I think of the music. I think of give me ten dollars. You know, I think the whole deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I loved I watched today. My wife and I uh, was brushing up on all of the uh, bits and pieces that I've I've collected from you over the years because I've tried. And this is what I'm going to call you out on. You do not have enough product out there for those of us that aren't in the san francisco area true it's like um that's true yeah well because i mean i i we met very briefly there's no way in the world you would remember um but at the uh, la film festival when all about evil screened okay um and uh and i it the film blew me away um oh, it was that was 2010 i think is when mm -hmm. it, when you yeah. finished. and it was uh you attack you had a great cast um it was Shocking, and I remember you, you talked about this. I think during the uh, either before or after the premiere, I think you said something like, "People would ask me, and this isn't Peach's film. This is my film. This is Joshua's right. film." Um, and it really, truly felt like something more than just a love letter, because you hear that from people a lot. Like, "Oh, my film was a love letter to you know the drive-in theater, you know the the Russ Myers, the whole deal." Um, but it was not just nostalgic. It was a great film. Oh, thank um, you. And uh, and and I, I say that just because, and I was lucky enough to get a copy of the DVD as soon as it went up on yeah. your site. Oh, good. Um, and uh, but and I and I watch and that's of course we will be covering it um, by the time this airs. People will be able to listen to the Cult and Classic episode where we talk about it and RuPaul's Star Booty. And when you made All About Evil, um, was there any? pushback from the people around you who you work with every day because making a film especially one that's as polished and refined as that it's a lot different than an interactive stage show i'd imagine yeah and you're right like and if you've seen any of my older shorts and stuff like i think you know one of them's well, the, the the short that was all about evil called grindhouse, grindhouse is on the dvd and you know i made those shorts for like no money we made mm -hmm. them in a weekend they were so scrappy and i think a lot of people really appreciated that about my little world that mm -hmm. you know I had this little cast of characters and you know it was kind of like any cult thing or any niche thing like um there was definitely an audience of people and you'll still hear this like especially with relationship to the shows at the Castro because they're big and you know they have like RuPaul's Drag Race stars in them and you know they're they're, they're sometimes more popular and I, I'll hear fans say I, 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 I miss Midnight Mass I miss the old mm -hmm. shows at the Bridge Theater 
and there was some of that with All About Evil as well, you know. Um, but but with All About Evil, I think maybe less so. I feel like there was this um, part of San Francisco, especially, that yeah. was just so excited to see me do something that was like with, you know, people that I idolized, you know, like Mink Stoll and Cassandra Peterson. Cassandra Peterson as yeah. my, my, my crush since I was two years old. You know, I saw I mean, Fire on the TV and I was like, who is this person? You know, this is amazing. And ever since then, you know. And, you know, I had to really talk her into doing the movie. Like at the time, she had done very little. Mm-hmm. In fact, she hadn't really appeared in a movie outside of Elvira drag since mm-hmm. Pee Wee's Big Adventure. So, you know, when yeah. we... Yeah, and even in Elvira drag, she was in Haunted Hills, and then she did a couple of the the commentary ones, and that's it. Right. Yeah. So she she didn't, you know, she'll say it like, "Oh, he bullied me into doing it," but it was more like uh, sending her really, really um, gushy, you know, letters because we were friends <laughs> at that point. We right. worked together. Um, whereas Mink Mink Stoll said yes right away. She said yes before she read the script and. I was a little bit nervous about that because of course mm-hmm. then she found out that we were going to sew her mouth shut and you know <laughs> do all this stuff and debatably know. the most gruesome scene in the film. Yeah, you know. I think so. And and you know even with that being like an obvious prosthetic, it was all practical and all the all the effects in the movie are practical. So when Natasha so good, yeah. was doing it, you know, the the they had shown her exactly where to put the needle in and where it could go and I'm looking at the monitor and we're like, all kind of holding our breath yeah. because if Natasha went like even a little bit (laughs) the wrong way, you know, Mm -hmm. it was really, so even me watching it still today, I'm kind of like, you know, Um, you know, even though it's obviously a prosthetic, but it's still close enough that it makes people squirm. Yeah. So having those sort of stars, I think if I had done something where there weren't those sort of like authentic heroes from the cult movie scene Mm -hmm. you know intermixed with you know a hollywood um actor like natasha leone or thomas decker thomas decker Mm -hmm. especially i think because natasha's natasha you know i mean when i wrote the movie you know and i was picturing that 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 character i I of course kept picturing a young sissy spacek or like a young um oh i don't know like shelly duvall you know like someone who who doesn't like a seventies actor where you could mm-hmm. have a pimple and it was okay. And you know, you didn't have to be some A-list beauty. Of course, you know, when we were casting all about evil and the casting director and the, the, the financiers and everybody are spitting names out at me, you know, they wanted all these kind of like, I don't know, like cliched female leads, you know, right. and uh, finally- It really put the, together the, the flippable teen pop star Hollywood yeah. star, like the same kind of vibe, right? Exactly, and I didn't want that at all. And finally, the I remember the director of photography, Tom Richmond, who's so talented and so fantastic, when an actor that we thought was gonna play Deborah, he said, who, who have you not gone for that you wanted to? And I said, well, number one on my list has always been Natasha Leone, but there's no way she'd ever do it. And he, he was like, well, how do you know that? You know, he shot Slums of Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. So he calls her on the phone with me in the room, says, I'm sitting here with this director, Peaches Christ, you know, he's it, here you go. And he put me on the phone with Natasha and then we started talking and I told her, that you'll appreciate this. I told her what the film was about. And I said, I was inspired partly by this woman named Doris Wishman. And Natasha goes, bad girls go to hell. Right. And I'm yes. like, I said, you know who Doris Wishman is? <laughs> and Natasha goes, yeah, my mom, she was my mom's neighbor down in Florida. And, <laughs> That's you know, crazy. I'm, I'm a big, you know, I love her. Like I've seen her, you know, she's one of the, she's the only woman exploitation filmmaker. I said, oh my God, Natasha, you have to read my script. Then it, it gave me this confidence, mm-hmm. right? Like, and I remember saying to her, as soon as I knew she knew who Doris Wishman was, then, then, then it was like, I couldn't not have her be the lead, you know? Well, and it's funny because, I mean, I think right now, uh, even a lot of cult fans, when they think of Natasha Leone, they think, oh, uh, Orange is the New Black, because that was really the the huge push that that brought her into the mainstream. And now, of course, she has Russian Doll and and, and a lot of projects. Right. Um, But like you said, Slums of Beverly Hills, I mean, it was, she she's never not been a force on, on screen, you know, like her personality is absolutely impossible to keep off camera. But Um, I'm a cheerleader, you know, like she's, 
she was on Pee Wee's uh, Playhouse as a child. I so didn't know that. That's great. Yeah, she's like one of those child, and she and Ch- uh, Thomas really bonded a lot because mm-hmm. they both were child stars. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, admittedly, as we all know, there's baggage that comes with that. So it was really sure. cool as a family, like on set, especially mm-hmm. for Natasha and Thomas, like they really bonded um, over growing up in the industry. But by the time I was like casting this movie, it was like Natasha had already been in um, Slums of Beverly Hills, uh, but I'm a cheerleader. Of mm. course she was in the American Pie movies, uh, but also Party Monster, like yeah, um, right. Die Mommy Die. Like she had already worked with a drag queen, you know, mm-hmm. writer, director, you know, with Charles Bush. Yep. So I just thought, you know, it was just, she was perfect. She, she was so mm-hmm. cool, you know. Um, and then of course, right after All About Evil, I'll never forget, she told me, I'm doing this this show, this TV show. And I thought, oh, that's good. And she said it was for Netflix. And I thought, oh, poor thing. <laughs> so did we all. <laughs> so did we all. Isn't that hilarious? Yes. I mean, because Netflix was still like, you know, the place where you, they sent you DVDs in the mail or whatever. Right, you right. Know? And so she says she's doing this, you know, this show. And, you know, um, what's her name who did Weeds, you know, who was doing Orange is the New Black. Yep. Um, you know, there was some sort of maybe link to All About Evil, you know, and so it was this great thing where we felt like, oh, Natasha, she, she got this job and, you know, but it's it's Netflix. And then Natasha told me that Laverne was on the show and, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I still, it's still in my mind, it's like, oh, it's just going to be this little, little thing. And, you know, of course, you know. You, well, it just goes to show you never know. You that's know? totally true. And I think too, for, for people who love horror movies and Grindhouse and the whole deal, the idea of, of, of again, that ephemeral thing where there's nothing tangible that we get, you know, it, it was hard to foresee, you know, uh, the, right. the, the advent of streaming. And here I am on a, you know, talking to you on a podcast. It seems hilarious, but it's true. Right. You know, I mean, I, on I, Zoom. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, uh, you know, who, who still, you know, my, my Instagram feed, I would hazard to say most of the listeners of this podcast are, are VHS fanatics. You know what I mean? Right, like that, right. that concept. And then you go to, to find something like I was resistant myself to things like Netflix. This isn't going to work. No one wants to right, do that. Right. Um, and now of course, I'm just grateful. I, I just interviewed Donald Farmer for this uh, a little bit ago. Uh-huh. And of course his movies now, they all stream first. Right, um, it's right, the, you know, it's some of them don't even get a physical release. Uh, and it's, it's, I mean, it's definitely just completely changed. I mean, I made a movie about mo- making movies in a cinema, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm that obsessed with right. movies in cinema. I lived in cinemas. I do my shows in cinema, my, you know, my, my drag, but you know, as much as I am fighting to save every single screen theater we can, and I am still fighting and I'm still a, uh, a huge proponent of ex- exhibition. Mm-hmm. You know, the projects I've been working on, you know, the past year are uh, a docu-series for streaming, um, a TV pitch for streaming. I mean, it's still very me, right? right. And, then, and, and then another feature film. Um, but, you know, when I made All About Evil, I'm really glad I made it when I did mm-hmm. because my dream was to, to screen it in cinemas. Yeah. And, you know, Mark Cuban and Landmark Theaters, they, they gave me this opportunity to do a William Castle style yeah. cross country tour, you know, which we did, where we went to all the different cities and peaches. And sometimes it was Natasha, sometimes it was Cassandra, whoever. Mm-hmm. But we did a whole show, you know, that opened the movie. And that's how the movie was sort of presented uh, in, in theaters. Um, that couldn't, we wouldn't even be able to entertain that today. Right. There's not enough cinemas left. And that was t- only 10 years ago. And that's, and it's, it's the same sort of weird thing where uh, my wife and I were talking about this because uh, she's very much, you know, well, I like watching movies at home. You know, yeah. I mean, why, like, do we don't too. have to leave. And I'm like, and I do too. I watch movies yeah. all the time. Right. But I also am obsessed with a the theater. You know, it's the one place where I can go that, I literally cannot do anything else but be lost in that movie. And, and you can have fellowship with strangers yeah. without ever even talking. Like there's this collective energy. I mean, I hate to hate sound all woo-woo about it, but you know, comedy, laughter, all that stuff. I mean, you know, as well as I do, like performing for your computer screen, it comedy is, it's really tough. You know, yeah. it's like, I'll be dressed as peaches and I'm doing a show or, you know, and I know there's an audience out there, but when you can't hear them, Here. And you can't see them, yep. you know, it just, 
and, and I think it affects the way we see movies as well. Like mm-hmm. you can't watch the human centipede at home alone. You know, <laughs> right, you, right. you need to watch it at midnight in a movie theater with mm-hmm. people vomiting, you know. Right. Even, even uh, you know, I try and, and on Cult and Classic have a really good mix of friends who are film buffs and other people who maybe have really narrow interests and a few people who really haven't seen the kind of movies that we're going to show them. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think it makes for an interesting conversation. Everyone brings their own point of view that is uniquely independent. And I think listeners can follow those different trains and get new ideas and, and probably appreciate things more than they maybe would otherwise. But at the same time, there are movies that I adore that sending them a digital copy and, and them watching in the living room, their experience is so undefinably different yeah. than when I saw it, you know, yeah. um, in, a, in, a, in a crowded theater throwing spoons at the screen. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and my wife, when, when we were in college together, uh, she was a devoted Rocky. She was in every production from the Players Society of Rocky every year, the gender swap one, the whole deal. She played Rocky. And uh, that sort of thing, um, it's really the technological, I'm glad we have streaming. I'm glad we have the Zoom capability. It's been a lifesaver during the pandemic, but it's really a neutered form uh, for me because like you said, there's no feedback. And I think as performers, uh, at least for me, it is a very selfish need for approval that keeps yeah. me going. And when you don't get that, when you can't read it um, in other people, it feels like bombing every night, even though and you're like, people ask it, you back. Yeah, and it's contagious. That's the other thing, mm-hmm. like, you know, doing the immersive haunted attraction, you know, all we need is a screamer in every group. And the group yeah. then just screams and has right. fun. When you get eight non-screamers, you know, they go through the show and they, they, they watch it differently, right? So mm-hmm. it's the same thing with comedy or horror. It's like laughter is contagious, you know? Mm-hmm. So you just need a couple good laughers in an audience to, to sort of break the ice. But when you're at home, you know, and you don't have that, I don't know, mm-hmm. it, it, there is an energy to it that, that you can't, um, and that's why I'm actually not worried about the other side of the pandemic because, you know, a lot of people are saying like, is this the death of theater? And right. it's like, Actually, theater has survived through all of this. You know, it right, survived yeah. pandemics before. You know, right. there's the, a the lot Spanish of Spanish influenza people, had theater during it. In exactly, fact, they only had know, theater. So right, <laughs> you know, and and we had theater on the other side. So you know, I do think that need to gather, that need to um, be together and see cinema or see plays or go to sporting events or whatever it is, like you know, worship, go to church. You know, for me, movies are kind of my fellowship. Um, I, I think that's going to, you know, it's same thing with AA meetings being online and all of this, like yeah. as soon as people can be back in rooms with each other, they're going to need that. So, you know, this, we just have to kind of like white knuckle it. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're, it. I think you're right. And it's, uh, yeah. and, and I'm a, I'm a huge thrift store, Goodwill swap meet. I mean, that's what, yeah. it's what feeds my obsessions, you well, know, you're and, in the right town. I, I am absolutely. Yeah. I have never been so grateful for dead people in my yeah. whole life. It's and, the best thrifting ever. All those queens down in Palm Springs, I mean, they go down there to retire. And then when they pass away, the, the, some of the stuff you can pick up, I mean, I hate to, you know, you know, but it is true. Like there's just, there's oh. a lot of guys down there with incredible taste that like, 100 percent true yeah you know exactly what i'm talking about i do it sounds I do. morbid but i'm kind of like oh no the best thrifting is palm springs i i cannot tell you how many times i've been pushed out of the way by a couple of retired gay men who <laughs> i'm like i was i oh, was yeah. i was destined not to have that chair set because yeah, yeah. they saw it from the parking lot you know right right um but no it really is and right now you know i mean clubs uh you stud closed you yeah, know, up there in San so Francisco. Sad. And it's really, it's really scary. And I, you know, I, before this, we lived in Huntington Beach and Orange County, which I swear mm-hmm. to God, I love Orange County, but, and I don't mean to offend any of our friends and my listeners who live in Orange County, but it really is the Jersey shore of California right now. Right. Um, and the, the resistance to protecting each other uh, is, is mind boggling. Cause especially yeah. down here, and you know, we, I live in the Cove, so it is, you know, my wife and I are one of the few heterosexual couples in the right. area. Um, right. And a lot of the people around here, they were saying to me, they were like, well, I remember 
I remember the AIDS pandemic. Like this, yeah. this, you know, we know that this is the thing is real, and we're going to treat it with respect, and we're older, yeah. and this is going to happen. So it's definitely a different vibe. Whereas, like, you know, uh, our family in Orange County visiting them, it's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm like, I'm staying six feet away. Like, what, <laughs> what are you yeah. doing? You know, it is. Um, it's it's like living. I think it's strange when when you love horror, you love spooky stuff. You know, even even the show that we're working on for the immersive attraction, I've been sort of, I'm going way more, um, in the last two years, it's been, the theme has been more hardcore horror. It's like visiting a, a prison when you go to the San Francisco mm. Mint Building, which is where we have it. Um, whereas this year, uh, or next year, whenever we get to do it, I've written a whole new thing where it's a family who's used the San Francisco Mint to house their occult, you know, antique collection and artifacts. Um, but it, so it's way more fantastic. It's way more, mm. um, you know, uh, and I'm realizing part of my attraction to the f sort of the magic is that there's enough horror <laughs> like all around us. I, I can't the, even, I mean, you know, the, yeah. It's like looking at, I, I swear, it's every time I open my phone, there's a new person to be mad at. There's a new yeah. um, reason to be upset. There's a new conversation that, oh, now we have to have this, which it's good in the long run potentially, but that's so far off, it's hard for me to see it, you know? Well, it's like the bigger horror is sort of realizing that we are living in, this is my perspective, like growing up, my, you know, I'm 46, growing up a kid in the 80s, you know, you are delivered this huge lie that that's kind of indoctrinated into you that that you are so lucky to live in the best country in the world and that we are better than everyone. And that this country is number one and everything we've done is, you know, so great. And, and let's let's not really talk about slavery, you know, and racism is over and we're past you know, that. Right. Yeah. And yeah. we're just, you know, just indoctrinated and socialized in this way that like I think with with this presidency and this pandemic and with you know the, the 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 cell phones capturing murder after murder after murder of black people um you know the chickens have come home to roost and the horror is oh my god you know especially mm -hmm. for gen xers like myself and and you know same um you know like i think i think we're we're it's like generation above us i just feel like sometimes like these orange county people whatever they're just like living in denial or something but we're really opening our minds to stuff that young people have known, right? Like, yeah, we're fucked. This is horrifying. And it's just, it's so much uglier than I ever thought it would get, you know? For sure. Well, and it's, it's with that thing, especially as a, uh, you know, a, a 36 year old middle-class white guy, straight mm -hmm. white guy. Uh, it was like, it felt like first it was, oh, wow. The LGBTQIA, like, when you don't have a, a problem and you don't even know that there is a struggle for equal rights, when that becomes apparent, you know, I think for a lot of us, it's college and around or for, for film, when we find film and, right. and we see this and we understand it's, it's shocking. And then you think you make it past that hurdle and that you're uh, an ally and you're aware. And then you see your, your friends of color and your BIPOC friends be like, Oh, this yeah, that happens all the time. Didn't you hear me for the mm -hmm. last 30 years? And the answer is no, I didn't. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's, and it's a terrible failure of, of not just the system, but I think of our awareness. You know, it's very, we're naturally self-absorbed in that way, right? Like yep. the struggles of the world are the ones I have to go through. Uh, yeah. And then I learned that there's tons of others that have it far more difficult that I just, I didn't know. And it's, it's more horrifying. I think it goes to what you said. It's more horrifying to realize not that it's happening, but that it's been happening. Right. And that it's like, sure, it's it's worse in some ways because we have, you know, people claiming riots and 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 excuses for more violence and things like that. And a president who uh, you know, absolutely condones this kind of behavior and enforces, you know, enforces it. Um, but realizing that it's just that terrible for so many people, and I have you know, been focused on other things. It's yeah. truly shaming. Um, and it's, it's like, I mean, I definitely, I totally agree. And I grew up, you know, becoming a queer activist and I was a women's studies minor in, in college and certainly thought I was, you know, uh, aware of my white privilege. But I think about things like when the OJ Simpson trial, you know, took place and, and you know, uh, I remember when the verdict came down, I was in college at Penn State and, 
it was literally like all the white students were like, you know, and the black kids were cheering. Right. And yeah. I remember then thinking, wow, this is, there's a deeper divide here mm -hmm. than I, than I, I knew. And I wanted to understand it, you know, and of course I had black friends and all of that, but you know, it's it, it definitely, it's sad that it took what it took, but it, it still is not enough for some people, you know, yep. um, camera footage of, of these murders and cell phones. I mean, it's sad that it took all of that, but I think so many of us just didn't want to believe mm -hmm. that, that, that the police were. It's inconvenient. It's you know, in, you know it was, <laughs> it's a horrifying reality, but now it's like, um, you're, you're, you know, I think one good thing about this whole administration and this, you know, situation we're in is like, you know, you're either on one side or the other yep. at this point, you know, it's like, I'm sorry, but there's no way that you can support Trump and not be a white supremacist. Like, and, and that's no true. Way, you, you know, know? And, so, and you look at my father uh, was a fiscal conservative Republican. And my mom was always a socially liberal Democrat. And the fights that would happen in my house around any election were truly epic. It would be my mom saying, uh, if you vote, I swear to God, I'm moving. I'm taking Nathan and I'm moving. That's funny. Uh, you and I have very similar, <laughs> the, the exact same dynamic. And, and, and I mean, it's a relief that my dad has, um, before the Donald Trump election, um, was really having trouble calling himself a Republican anymore yeah. because he didn't believe in the things that were coming out and the, and the dog whistles that became, I mean, people say, well, this is a dog whistle against, you know, for racists. And I'm like, no, it, it's overt. You know, we're choosing to make it a dog whistle at this point um, right. because it's really out there. And, uh, and, and it's true. There are people that, um, it, I'm at a loss for words sometimes with people that I love and care about that you see doing things and saying things, especially online, because it's such an open forum that you're like, I cannot fathom how you love me and treat me well. Um, but you can tell people that this other group of people is are thugs or murderers or they're not worth it or it's their fault that they're in these situations. Uh, and, and I don't know how to handle that all the time. And I think, you know, we see celebrities do it and often, myself included, we read them for it. You know, oh, this comedian did that and you're not writing them off instantly. Right. How could you not? You know, and the answer is I think it's really hard when there are people close to you. And that's what I think is happening is we're all getting hit close to home in some ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one exciting thing in our, the world that, you know, you and I are interested in and grew up in is that there's finally change. Because if mm -hmm. you look at horror as a genre, when I was growing up, um, the, and I would go to like a Fangoria convention or whatever, the, it was white and it was yeah. straight and it was pre predominantly male, male, you know, and like, mm -hmm. that's the way it was. Those are the guys who got to make the movies. Those are the guys that got to edit the magazine. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're all bad. In fact, many of those people were heroes of mine. Mm -hmm. Wes Craven, Toby Hooper, John Carpenter, sure. all of them. But like, you did not see queer people and you no. did not see people of color. And that's just the way it was. And I remember when I was finally successful enough to, as Peaches, and I, I, I don't say this as a bragging thing, but I really was maybe the first real horror drag queen, you know, as far as mm -hmm. pushing horror and doing horror stuff. And I would go to a convention with Elvira, you know, I remember once going to Horror Hound in Indianapolis. Yeah. And like, literally, I was the scariest thing there to a lot of the attendees. <laughs> yes, yes, you know what I mean? absolutely. They could not figure out what yeah. I was doing there. Yeah. And they knew I was not a woman. And, mm -hmm. you know, here's, there's people walking around with chainsaws and severed heads and these guys were so freaked out by me and Cassandra, mm -hmm. Elvira, thought it was hilarious, you know. I'm sure. But, you know, I felt very, like, um, pissed. Like, I wanted right. to queer it up. I wanted yeah. to. and Like, hey, this and, is my community, too. Yeah, like, That's I love here. it, too. Like, I'm a fan, too. And guess what, you guys? You know, like, this, this, this person over here, Frank Kennenlauter, like, you know, you might want to look into, you know, where these some of this stuff is coming from like you know yeah. like you know um alfred hitchcock norman bates like you know let's let's you know there's queerness all around you right. you're just not open to seeing it right um and so lately i feel like you know finally black folks 
and people of color and women mm-hmm. have finally, and queer people have finally been given, um, you know, more of a real seat at the table sure. as far as cult movies and horror stuff goes, you know, and more specifically horror. I mean, I think with cult movies, queerness, luckily, you know, with Always John Waters very, and, um, you know. It's all about the fringe. And so right. when, you, when you're marginalized in society, that's a place where everybody sort of funnels into, you know, it's the, it's the mat shot of the cinematic right. world, you know. Yeah. Um, exactly. and, and that's, I think, why so many of us love it. Uh, but like you said, with horror films in particular, which makes up such a large percentage, it really is, uh, you know, I, I review for horrornews.net. I tend to review their, uh, their lowest... Uh, aggregate review films uh, right, or okay. and and they're often my favorite you know there's a reason right. that I do that job yeah but there are so many cases where you get something that I'm like this is not it's not so much an homage as a misunderstanding of of it and it's usually in the form of um what comes out as anti-women or anti-LGBTQIA uh, material and right. it's sort of like that that sense of victimization is no longer a fantasy and it feels like a concerted message. Uh, yes. and, and that's, and it's, un, it's unfortunate because we see those at conventions too, you know, I'll be there and, and I'll be like, Oh, this is great. This is great. And then I go and I end up talking to someone. And I'm like, Oh, you're one of the ones that's in here for the reason that does concern me <laughs> and yeah, yeah, does yeah. concern people. And I'm sure you get that as sort of a public figure with fans. You know, there are a lot of people looking for, as you, as you say, idol worship. And yeah. sometimes you don't really want those people there. You want to be inclusive, but I mean, how do you handle, I'm assuming you've had real strong misinterpre- misinterpretations of what you put out there. Cause it's sort of, you can't control it, right? Uh, yeah, I think that um, so much of the Peaches message, especially when in relationship to like the cult uh, sort of parallels and things, is so tongue in cheek um, that most people get it, and then, and then, and then beyond that, I'm pretty, pretty open to you know, pretty addressing it or saying, you know, we are, we are the outsiders, we're the freaks and the weirdos, and everyone is welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's gotten tricky is usually someone maybe uh, who's suffering from some mental illness or yeah. something, something uh, along those lines. Knock on wood, it hasn't. Uh, been an issue lately but I think back especially when it was rarer for there to be a horror drag queen you know I would say more like 10 years ago it was more common and in fact another this is another thing that I've spoken to Cassandra about um, and Mink um, and and you know uh, other friends where you know because we're strange and we're odd and we're dark and we stand for something alternative um, and cult sometimes people assume we're speaking directly to them in this very yeah. personal way that that other mainstream celebrities they don't they don't feel that connection to because mm-hmm. we're niche and we're bizarre so um when i've had um misunderstandings i mean a lot of times sadly i think it's because someone's kind of broken and and yeah. you know and so um you know there've been a few uh little strange interactions you know (laughs) scary moments you know but but nothing too serious well and that's and that's always good and i think you really touch on it with most of us who who have and this is being really grandiose of me to include myself in this in any way but when i've done things like readings or, or things like that where i've been or shows you know comedy shows where i've i've come off stage and people often think you know uh probably similarly to a drag queen, I'm, I'm an exotic animal. You know what I mean? Right, like, oh, right. you were up there and now you're down here. Right. Um, those, those interactions can be uncomfortable and someone does sort of misunderstand the boundary and the fact that I'm just a person. You don't really want to talk to me. You want to talk to that guy. <laughs> right, like, right, right. like I, that's not me. I did a show for you. The show's over. I, I'm glad you so came and enjoyed it. That's interesting that you say that because I've noticed that uh, for me, as peaches, uh, I come off the stage and then I still have to be peaches. Yeah. So it's that thing where people don't, some people go, oh, I, wanna, I want you to come to my party as peaches. I want you to come to my wedding as peaches. It's like, 
you don't get it. Like right. that's a job for right. me. If I dress up and I'm peaches and I'm talking to your guests all night, I'm cracking jokes. I'm mm. still on stage. I'm still in a spotlight. It's exhausting. Those fan meet and greets that we do after the show are much more tiring than yeah. the show itself because the show is scripted. It's fun. You're doing it with your friends. When you're giving someone all of your attention and your energy and you're in character, you mm -hmm. know, um, that drains you. Uh, so when I'm been Joshua and I come off the stage, I know exactly what you're talking about where I'm almost like, I am awkward. I'm a nerd. I'm an introverted. Um, I'm strange. Uh, so it is, it's an, it, Peaches is in many ways an armor for me. It's a way for me to, to, uh, perform. And as Joshua, when I take it off, I think people are surprised by how small mm -hmm. my, my, my circle of friends is and you know, how, how boring my life actually kind of is, you know, I don't, I don't really go out very often. I'm not very social, you know? Uh, and so I save a lot of that energy for, you know, those bigger performances or whatever. I, I think you, I, I, I watched, um, uh, a wig and a prayer, the peaches Christ story, the oh, short, yeah. uh, and it, it, you talked about that a little bit and I thought it was interesting, um, that, that you're like, I don't want to use the word home buddy, but you're like, no, I don't, yeah. I don't go out really like this. This is my outing. Yeah. Um, and as a, and, and when I sang uh, the, I sang for a band, the Chud for like 10 years. Oh, uh, cool. And, uh, and actually will they do the music for this show? And by they, I mean, I was the vocalist. So uh -huh. I had, I had the least amount of musical ability of the entire fantastic band. Uh -huh. uh, and, and the outro song that we use for this podcast is actually a song that, uh, that, that we wrote after all about evil. It's called, uncreatively all about evil but you'll get to hear that i love um, it i you you haven't heard it yet but no i'm just kidding uh but it was it's one of those things where that when i'm on stage it's it's so freeing and so wonderful and it's it's part of stand-up comedy too it's a, it's a it's like me at a different level right but that's i don't know if it's because that is where i spend it all um, or if it's just that that allows me to be that way. And then when I'm off, no, I, I didn't go drink at the parties. You know what I mean? Whenever I did, it was an obligation. You know what I mean? It's not what I wanted to do. Um, and, but I almost, for me, and I don't know if you felt the same way, it was almost like that was that stage persona and the excuse to get on stage was my outreach to get into that group of people that I cared about and wanted to be a part of, but I didn't fit in with that other part that they had. You right, know? right, right. Um, yeah, that actually makes sense. I mean, it's funny because a lot of my my peers, and I mean, I'm so, like, I love that I get to be friends with all these hilarious, wicked, sassy. I mean, my favorite parts of doing, like, um, a drag show often are, like, um, like sadly, Mother uh, Couture, Lady Red, passed away this past week, right? So absolutely tragic and so, so unexpected. Sad. I so, uh, so unexpected. We had heard that she was doing better. Mm -hmm. And so I've been going, you know, down this sort of um, memory lane of these um, tours we did uh, for the Drag Queens of Comedy. And I'm like, oh my God, that whole experience, all my memories, I can't remember what I did on stage, what I said on stage. You know, Hecklina and I had a bit and Lady Red had a bit. I don't remember anything, but I remember all of this amazing stuff backstage. Mm -hmm. Like just to be in a room and get to watch Lady Bunny scream at Lady Red Couture because <laughs> Lady Red Couture ate her steak. You know, like all this, these memories and me and the queen. Did that actually happen? Oh yeah, it happened. In, and Jackie B posted a video of it where Lady Bunny's screaming at Lady Red going like, you're not the only fat pig on this tour. I'm a fat pig <laughs> too, you know, you ate my steak. You know, like really, like this is the so that that stuff for me is like I feel so blessed that I finally get to sit with the kids I admire. Yeah, and I could literally just sit in a dressing room and watch all those bitches, you know, go at it. Coco Peru, Bunny, Bob the Drag Queen. I mean, they're hilarious. the funniest people I've ever met. You know, well, and you get to You're do. Right. I mean, I, I do feel that way. With you know. Somehow I put on this drag, I've gotten access to the dressing room, and now my friends are all these, you know, smart, clever, you know, funny people that yeah. I get to play with. And my social life, you know, really does revolve around yeah. my work because of that. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I, you know, when people go, you know, 
uh, what do you do for social social life? I'm like, honestly, a, a lot of it's just the work because, mm-hmm. you know, building an, a haunted attraction, you know, hanging out with all those artists, all those weirdos, you know, building a, a, a big drag show at the Castro Theater, working with choreographers and costume designers and hairstylists, like those are my people, you know? So um, my social life does kind of tend to be work-related and you know there's tons of drag queens that go out and party and want to be social and are very extroverted um but there's actually a a, quite a few of us who actually just want to go home (laughs) i i think and i think i mean this was my experience and also there was an age limit to, to my willingness to go out and do things you know my wife is five years younger than me and and there was probably three or four years in there where she's like well okay, well, I'm going to go. And I'm like, okay, right. that sounds great. As long as yeah. we're okay with that, that's fine. Cause I, yeah. I'm tired. I want to yeah. go home. I want to watch a stupid TV show right. and I just want to relax. Um, and I, I totally hear what you're saying with sort of the, your social life revolves around your career. And I don't, I don't, I, I luckily gave up office work many moons ago. Cause I just, that's for me, it was an unsustainable lifestyle. Right. Um, but as a comedian, Oftentimes, people are surprised. They're like, oh, wasn't that great when somebody else came off? And I'm like, I wasn't watching. Not that I didn't want to see their material, but I'm right. in the green room talking to four comedians who are right. hilarious. Right. Like, why in the, like, I can't pull myself away. That's yeah. my time. You know, that's, that's what I look forward to. Yeah. Um, like, I joke that Zoom shows are terrible because if I bomb, I can't get free, you know, French fries. Right. Uh, I have to make them myself. It's like a double whammy. But yeah. It's really that I don't get to see anyone. I don't get yeah. I don't get that that social feeding. Like the rest of my life is watching and reviewing films and writing, and that's such a uh, typically personal uh, solo venture that uh, the rest of it is absolutely wiped out. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I think most of us that are um, you know sick of the the you know not being able to go back to work it's as much about the disconnectedness of, of, you know, this experience. If it, if it actually, it's probably more about that than anything, hmm. you know, because, uh, you know, and I don't think socially distant, well, whatever, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But like, even when they do figure out how to reopen Broadway and things like that, like uh, it, it's going to be, um, it's not going to be the same, you know, right. Uh, until, you know, there's a vaccine or, you know, we're, we put this behind us. In fact, part of me is just kind of like, why bother, you know? Right. Well, I mean, there's the whole, like, you know, you'll hear people say things, especially on like conservative talk shows and radio and stuff, which is like, well, it, we'll all be of you and eventually. Well, yes, that's probably true. We're just trying to prevent the death of the thousands right. of people that it will take to get there first. Right. Uh, and, you know, the vaccine trials right now, we're all hopeful, but most of us, I think, honestly, are not stupid about it. It's not going to be perfect. You know, I still get the flu sometimes and I get that shot every year. Um, But I, for one, am so looking forward to digging through someone else's discarded crap. I can't even, (laughs) I can't even say it. Um, I, before, because I know I've kept you on forever. What's your next, do you have anything? I know you've got some things in the works, um, but I also know that as a performer, uh, and you mentioned it too, money dries up, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Um, like, like I, I, I am an English professor and that's sort of the, the saving grace for me. Um, but for, for drag performers, especially, you know, I know there's a lot of benefit shows going on, but what can we as, as, uh, you know, um, partakers in your guys' entertainment, what can we do to help? Well, I mean, everyone's getting really creative, uh, on Friday night, uh, believe it or not, I'm going to do a thing where I deliver people's meals. As meals people. on heels. Meal, uh, heels. Heels. Heels on wheels. Wait, is heels that it? No, meals on heels. Whatever it is, I'm doing that. <laughs> Aglina has talked me into it, um, and I'm I'm looking forward to it because, uh, well, one, you know, we're all figuring out what what to do, but also because I haven't actually like done anything in drag in person outside of like my apartment in a while. Mm -hmm. Um, So that'll be kind of fun to be out in the world again as peaches. Um, And, you know, I think, you know, I think we're still figuring it out. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know for me, I've been, 
because I juggle all these different kind of uh, mediums and, and work in different ways, you know, I've kind of shifted gears and thought, okay, the first thing that could probably open realistically is our immersive attraction. So that's not going to happen this Halloween, but let's write the show, get it up and running, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, and if we open it in the spring, you know, who gives a shit, you know, it doesn't have right. to be around Halloween. No. Um, so, you know, working on that kind of stuff, um, so that when we, are ready to reopen something indoors, but also looking at the fact that like, well, okay, all of the mandates pretty much everywhere um, allow for outdoor things. Right. So, you know, what would it take to create an outdoor cinema or an outdoor cabaret space, you know? Mm -hmm. And who do I know that can help me do that? So I've been working on that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think if you really are like, oh, I'm gonna support Peaches, uh, what's your Venmo? I'm really uncomfortable with that. Like, I feel I like- I think a lot of people know. are. Yeah, like, I'm like, I don't want you to just send me money, but you can book me on Cameo, you know, to, to send Cameo's you- Cameo's a great option. Yeah, yeah, send you a personal message or whatever. Um, and like you say, uh, my, 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 uh, my gift shop and all of that stuff needs to be, it's woefully outdated. It needs to be, uh, you know, put- back. I especially want not only, of course, all about evil, but I am super selfishly wanting you to uh, put out a compilation of all your short films because there are some, especially like your graduation short film that you reference, yeah. and I think uh, uh, the, you know the uh, wig and a prayer story. Like yeah. I, I don't. You just can't find those. And I've seen images of what looks like you at one point had a DVD collection of yeah, them. Yeah. And that is, it is so far gone that there's no way to find that. Yeah, I think, I think what we'll do, so uh, All About Evil is, it's looking like it'll be streaming soon. Right. Um, they're negotiating now. And then there's even talk of a Blu-ray, uh, awesome. which would be exciting. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes from that. Um, and then, yeah, and then like, I have a, a, a comic anthology that came out last year. What? But it's called Theater of Terror. And it's uh, 33 different queer comic artists. It's a anthology, but it sold out. The first run sold out. It was amazing. Like we didn't expect it. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing where we're, we're the, the the publisher is getting another run going on that. Hopefully, we'll have that online soon. Excellent. Um, yeah. So I think you know, and then merchandise stuff. It's just uh, we, we've been selling stuff at the events for so long, like mm -hmm. concert T-shirts right. and things that no one's just kind of gone in and taken inventory <laughs> of what we have. Merchandise is tough. Like a lot of people yeah. think they make a lot of money on merchandise. You don't really, you know, no. it's tough. No. You have to sell a lot of it for, you know, the amount of work it takes. Mm -hmm. um, we, I like it just because I think it's obnoxious and fun. I love it. Yeah. And yeah. well, and I, I think um, like we, we mentioned, you know, the sort of the having the physical piece of, what you love uh, is, yeah. is great. And, and here at Colton Classic Podcast, you know, I've been in this game a long time, but this is a relatively new podcast. And uh, we just got our Patreon up. And when we looked at what can we give people, well, a dollar a month, great. You get the videos, you get extra video content, maybe an extra episode, cool things like that. But if you yeah. give us $5, we do a custom trading card every month and send it to you with the artist signature. You know, That's $10, great. we do a new zine for you every month. Like, and it's, it is great. And I absolutely yeah. think I want people to do it. It's patreon.com slash Colton classic podcast. But also, like you said, it's totally selfish. I do that stuff anyway. So I'm totally happy to share that uh, with, with the world and get our guests in on it and things like that. Um, and, uh, and I will say that for being a guest on the show, we will also be sending you the first print run, a, a copy of our first trading card signed oh. by the artist who just happens to be me. And uh, <laughs> thank you. Of course, of course. Um, but thank you so much for being here. This has been awesome. Um, I've wanted to talk to you for since I saw All About Evil and uh, we'll have to chat again at some point. I definitely want stories from, from uh, Dela and, and Jinx and Alaska and Fifi and all the wonderful and, yeah. and crazy people that you work with. For sure. Well, uh, listeners, as always, catch us every Tuesday. Make sure you follow Peaches Christ uh, at, uh, is it thepeacheschrist.com? Peaches. Uh, the Peaches Christ on Instagram and Peaches Christ on Facebook and Twitter and PeachesChrist.com. Great. So make sure you follow Peaches Christ. Joshua, thank you so much. Uh, like I said, playing us off with All About Evil by the Chud. Hope you like it. All About Evil.
Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.